like it is great to see you today. It's it's like summer outside, right? It's warmed up entirely. Everyone's out and about. It's good to see. Great to see you today. I've got a special treat for you today. At, at the front, uh, it would be to your right of every section. There should be a box of crayons uh, in this section, and there's a couple of buckets of crayons in this section. And I want you to share those with each other. And I want you to get. Go ahead, grab them. Uh, you'll need to open the boxes to do this. And uh, I want you to grab each of you to grab three crayons out of those boxes. You'll need to get three distinctly different colors. Uh, so don't get like pink and red and orange. That's going to confuse the matter. Uh, try to get a red and a blue and a green maybe. Uh, three distinctly different colors. You may need to, uh, to share with your neighbor. Maybe there's not enough to get everyone three distinctly different colors in your area. So you may have to share a little bit. You catch where we're going with this? Three different colors, three different crayons. Are they like packed in there, like impossible to get to? Should have done a little more prep. I did go to Walmart and get crayons and donuts. We already ate the donuts, sorry. When was the last time you, you drew something with a crayon? Some of you are adults. These are brand new crayons in this section. Sorry, overflow, you get the used, broken ones. Sorry. Uh, it's maybe been a while for some of us since we used a crayon. Today you get to use crayons. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll explain more about that in a minute. So continue on sharing with each other. Get three colors of crayons, and we'll move on from there. Do you have your Bible this morning? If you don't have crayons and you do have your Bible, open your Bible to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one from the pew rack right in front of you and follow along, Romans chapter 6. Last week we looked closely in Romans chapter 6 at our union with Christ in his resurrection. A uh, week before that, Joe had preached and talked specifically about our union with Christ in his death. We sang about that this morning. We saw that in written word this morning, our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. We talked about and we celebrated like we do every week here. Christ's victory over sin and death. He has conquered the grave. You are stronger. You are stronger, we sang this morning, and we love to sing that. Uh, we talked about he, how he died once for all and has been raised from the dead never to die again. And we talked about how if, and this is a big if, but if we are in Christ, we share with him in his death to sin, and we also share with him in his life to God, in his resurrection. We talked in the text, and what part of why you get the crayons this morning is to make this even more clear, about the transition in this text from indicative statements of fact to imperative commands or calls to action. We saw that happening in the text. In doing this, Paul says that we need to consider we need to think about some things. We need to get some things clear in our heads, and we need to get them settled in our hearts. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I have spent this week meditating on that, thinking about that, trying to remind myself in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of battle with sin, I am dead to sin, and I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've got to get that settled. One scholar I was reading referred to that part of the process as prevention theology. He called it prevention theology, and he said so much of our time, so much of our time is spent in corrective theology, not preventative theology. 
He says, we spend much of our time talking about what do we do when we do sin. However, we need to understand that reflecting on our identification with Christ, on our identity with Christ, curbs our sinning. So, so it's one thing to think about, okay, what do I do? How do I confess sins? How do I repent of sins once I have sinned? It's a whole other thing to fix our eyes on Jesus and know that we are in him, that we are with him in his death to sin and his life to God. So today, we'll move into the expressly imperative part of this text, um, the calls to action. These are commands that we must obey, but we've got to make one thing clear. We cannot even attempt to obey the commands in the text today unless we get this other stuff settled in our heads and our hearts. We cannot, uh, without being in Christ, without being made a new creature, without being, in fact, dead to sin and alive to God, we cannot live like free people. We cannot live like living people. Uh, so we have to get the first bit of it settled in our heads and our hearts before we can obey uh, the commands that God has for us today. Okay? Does everyone have a crayons now? No crayons in the back at all? They ran out? Who lugged them? There was a whole box of them for that section. Back row's got some. All right. If you didn't get crayons, we'll, we'll work that out later. You'll get the idea, and you can find some crayons someplace else. So look at the text that's on the screen. As we read it today, I want you to take the first color, pick out one color. Maybe it's blue, maybe it's green, maybe it's red. Here comes a guy saving the day with a bucket full of crayons. Excellent. So as we read through the text today, I'm going to point out the indicative statements first. And I want you to take that first color, set the other two aside, take the first color and mark a few things. They're blue on the screen. Listen to what the text says. It says, what shall we say then? This is chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that, here's the first indicative statement, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. All of that is indicative. And so take your first color and highlight there. The reason why we use crayons is they don't bleed through the pages, the, the, the thin little pages of your Bible. Crayons are perfect. That's the first indicative statement. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Read on. Therefore... Verse 4, here starts the second indicative statement. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. Mark that. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. This is still color number one. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if, here comes the third one, we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Mark that with your first color. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. It says certainly, and here's the next one, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Mark that with your first color. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6 says, knowing this, that, here comes another one, our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. You see how these statements that we're having you highlight are not calls to action. They're statements of fact. They're just observations of truth. We have died to sin. We have been crucified with Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. Read on. It says, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7 says, for 
He who has died is freed from sin. There's two of them right there. He who has died is freed. Those are two indicative statements. Has died is freed. And then the last one is in verse 8. It says, now if we have died with Christ, mark that, we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Mark that last one. We shall also live with him. Got a lot of blue or green on your page so far? Hey, listen, and if you're opposed to marking in your Bible, maybe I should have said this 10 minutes ago. If you're opposed to marking in your Bible for some reason, don't feel obligated to do this. <laughs> I, don't want you to, I don't want you to sin against your conscience today by marking in your Bible. I don't think there's any problem with it, but if it's, if it's bad for you, it's bad for you, so don't do it. Um, all right, so put that crayon down. Color number one is down for a while. Don't lose it, though. You're going to have to pick it up at the end. And break out color number two. Hold it up. Let me see it. Color number two. All right, color number two we're going to use to mark this transitional phrase in verse 11. So we've established all of these facts, and now Paul is going to move to commands based on those facts, but he does it with this kind of middle ground statement, which actually includes both an indicative and an imperative. Read on in the text, starting in verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And here's the transition in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See how that's transitional? It's got both of them. Consider yourself is an imperative command. He's telling you to do something. He's not just telling you what you are, or he's not just telling you about something that has happened. Those would be indicative statements. He is telling you to do something. Consider yourself. It's a call to action. He says, think a little bit. Engage your mind and engage your heart. But then he uses an indicative statement right after that. He says, consider yourself to be. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. He says, I want you to engage your head and engage your heart on these facts that I've laid out for you. I want you to think about these things that are true. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right? Color number two, we're done with that. Get color number three. Hold it up for me. That's the same as the last one. This is the third color we're supposed to use. And this color is going to mark the imperative statements in this text. The, the clear calls to action, the commands of Scripture. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You hear how that's a call to action? Do not let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. That's the second imperative. That's the second command. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, here comes the third one, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The third imperative, the third command is present yourselves to God. You get those three marked? It's a colorful page now, isn't it? It's beautiful. All right, put the third crayon down and pick up the first crayon. The one, the color that you use to mark the indicative statements, because we need it again, because he closes out the whole thought with another indicative statement. Look at verse 14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you. It's indicative. It shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Indicative. 
It's a lot of legwork. And all this is going to come together in just a minute. Look at this next slide. So if you, were to, if you were to remove all of the black letters and only look at the ones that you colored, it would look something like this. We would have this huge stack of indicative statements, statements of fact from this text. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into a de his death. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. We shall be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old self was crucified with him. He who has died is freed from sin. We have died with Christ. We shall also live with him. Oh, don't you love those things? This is, like, this is who you are if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true for you if you are in Christ. And then he's going to say, based on all of that, I'm going to transition and say, think about this. Consider yourselves to be Consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And now, here's what you do about it. Here's, here's how you take action. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not go on presenting your members of, the members of your body to sin, but present yourselves to God as, as those alive from the dead. We'll talk about that next week. And then he rounds it out with this reminder of who you are. All, what I want you to see in all of this is that the call to action is not out there on its own. Is not, it's not as if God has just shown up onto the scene and said, don't let sin reign in your body. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin, but present yourselves to God. He doesn't just come in and say, do these things. No, he makes you an entirely new creature before he tells you to do those things. He does an amazing work in your heart and gives you a whole new nature and a whole new life. And then tells you to live it out. To live like you've been made alive. To live like those things that are blue are true for you. And not to go on living like it hasn't happened. Do you catch where all this is going? We want to see how these calls to action, these commands of scripture, are not out there in a vacuum. If they were out there in a vacuum, we would have no ability to keep the commands. We would have no ability even to try to keep the commands. But they're not in a vacuum. They are given in the context of a radical change that has happened in your life already. And so he has not only given you the commands, he's given you the energy, he's given you the, uh, he's given you the desire, he's given you the ability to follow those commands. So we don't come to these imperatives today, we don't come to these commands and feel them weighty upon us, we come to these commands and we see them as the natural outworking of what God has already done in our hearts. The desire of our heart should be to not let sin reign in our mortal body, to not go on presenting the members of our body to sin, to present ourselves to God. That should be natural for us because sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace, right? Okay, let's pray together and we'll look at this closely. God, thank you uh, so much for your word. Uh, we believe it is, it, it is straight out of your mouth. It is a revelation of yourself to us. By it, we see you. Through it, we see ourselves more clearly. And we want to hear from you today. We want you to speak to us. We want you to give us understanding of your word, but we want you to give us obedience to it as well. We don't simply want to celebrate. We don't simply want to celebrate the work that you have done in our lives. We want to live our lives in response to what you have done in our lives. We want to live in a way that is appropriate. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We want to walk carefully in this age as wise men, not as unwise. We, we want to be who you have made us to be. So teach us what that looks like more and more us that you have done all of the work to make that possible. 
And this is simply our appropriate fitting response to what he has done for us. And God, I recognize there are people who have not experienced that weight. They, they, have, they have not experienced your grace and forgiveness and redemption. They have not experienced your great salvation. God, I pray the day would be the day that they do experience that, the day that you meet with them and show them about their sin, about the judgment they deserve, about your wrath. But God, I pray that you also teach them about your mercy and your grace and your love, that you sent your son to die for them, to take the punishment that they deserve. And he did, and he died, and he rose again victorious over sin and death to, to save us, to save us from sin. Not so that we could go on sinning, but so that we could live for you. God, I, I pray that you'll open eyes and hearts and ears to that truth today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Uh, that's a lot of introduction, right? Two reasons, two reasons why I wanted you to see those things with the colors. One is I think it will help us see more clearly what's going on in the text. That Paul is not just going to come in and give you some commands. He goes to great lengths to lay the foundation for those commands. And then even after he lays the foundation, he, he goes to great lengths to remind you about the foundation. After he gives the commands, he goes back and says, it's because, it's because you sin shall not reign over you. It is no longer mastered over you. You're not under law, but under grace. I wanted you to be able to see that more clearly. But the other reason why I wanted to do that today is I, I hope that that will trigger something in someone's heart today. That this little exercise of looking closely at how scripture works with itself will trigger something in someone's heart like God triggered in my heart years ago to say, this book is incredible. This word of God is amazing. And I want to study it closely. And I don't, I don't just want to plow through and read 10 chapters a day. I don't want to just check them off the list on my app on my phone. Uh, I want to study it closely. And I want to see these things and how it all works together. And maybe it will spark in someone a passion for, for Bible study. Okay? That's why we did that today. But let's look carefully at, uh, at verse 12. That's really all we're going to get through today. We'll deal with 13 and 14 next week. Uh, verse 12 is, is very important. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, therefore. It starts out with the word therefore. And we've already talked about this a lot today. What he's going to say in the next few statements, in the next few sentences, is application that is based on what he has already talked, told us about our position in Christ. It's just the application, it's just the outworking of these truths that he's already shared with us. Because we have been baptized, we have been raised, we have been united. Because we have been crucified and have been freed from sin and we have died with Christ and we shall live with him. Because all of those things are true, then we are called to this action, right? And what you need to understand is that if those things are not true in your life, if you have not been baptized with Christ, if you are not united with him in his death and his resurrection, if you've not been saved by grace through faith, then, then obedience to these commands is absolutely impossible. If you have not been changed in your heart, obedience to these commands is absolutely impossible. And one scholar uh, talked about this and used an illustration of, of a slave. He said, suppose you found a slave who had not been set free. A slave who is still a slave indeed. And you went up to that slave and you said, you need to live like a free man. Mr. Slave who is still in bondage and chains, you need to start living like a free man. How would he respond to that? How could I possibly live like a free man? I'm not a free man. I'm still, see these chains? How could I live as a free man when I'm still in these chains? See that master over there who's watching every move I make and telling me what to do? I'm still under his dominion. How dare you come to me as one who is still in bondage and tell me to live as a free man? 
to do that, this scholar says, is to mock his enslavement. But if you go to a slave, a former slave who has been set free, and you say, man, you need to live like a free man, he's going to say what? Yeah, I do. Teach me how. Teach me what it looks like. I've never known this life of freedom before. All I've ever known is that old master, and all I've ever known is those old chains. Teach me what it looks like to live as a free man. Teach me what it looks like to live out this truth that I have been set free. And that's where we are at as Christians. If you are here today and you are in Christ, you've been saved by grace through faith in him, you are a free man. And this text is going to teach us more and more what it looks like to live it out. We are not, I am not, extending these commands to lost people. That would be mocking them. It would be an insult to them. It would be to mock their lostness, to tell them to live like saved people. At the, end of the, at the end of the day today, we're going to make an application for lost people, and it's going to be this. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus and get free and then start living like a free man. But the majority of this text today and the majority of the application is for those of you who are in Christ. Many of you, many of us who are in Christ still live like we're dead, still live like we're slaves, still live like we're in chains. And we want to be reminded we are not. We are not slaves anymore. We are sons. Remember that from Christmas Sunday? You're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir. We're no longer slaves, we're sons. And we have been set free. And we need to learn how to live like it. So these commands are for believers. Paul is calling us in this text to give up thinking and acting and living like a slave. And start behaving like a free person because we are indeed free people. Therefore, he says in verse 12, do not let sin reign. This is, this is a predicament, is it not, as we study this text? He's told us over and over again that sin is no longer master over us, that it does no longer reign in us, that we have been delivered and we have been set free. But now he comes along and he says, do not let sin reign in your life. May, you may say, well, this seems to be contradictory. You've already told me. You've already told me that sin does not reign. Why are you telling me not to let it reign? If it does not reign, it cannot reign. Well, we know, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's some tension in that, right? That in fact, positionally, in truth, sin does not reign over us. It is no longer master over us. But we know, in practice, it still has some influence on us, right? We still hear it, and we still are tempted by it, and we still feel the impact of it, right? One scholar uh, said it this way. He said, this of course assumes that sin is still there. To say, do not let sin reign in your lives, is to assume that sin is still there. And then he goes on and he says this, Believers do not have a serene existence from which, from which sin has been blissfully excluded. Do you agree with that? Believers do not have some serene existence where sin has been blissfully excluded from it. We have been delivered from its power. We have been delivered from its penalty, but not yet have been delivered from its presence, right? And so we struggle with this. We struggle with sin. We are in Christ, and that is true. We are in Christ. That is our position. But we are also in the flesh. We are also here on this earth. In fact, when Paul writes letters to the churches, he almost always writes to the saints who are in Christ, who are at Ephesus or at Rome or at some place. So he will talk about these two realms that we live in now. Thank God a day is coming 
when, Christ, when the trumps shall resound and the Lord shall descend, right? Thank God that day is coming, but it's not here yet. And in the meantime, I have these two positions. I am in Christ and in Harrisburg. I am in Christ and I am at Harrisburg. And sometimes that is a tension and we've got to learn to live in that tension. Paul says in this text that sin is still a force. It is still a force in our lives, but his point in this text is that it is not the supreme force in our lives, and we do not have to submit to it any longer. There was a day before you met Christ where you had no choice but to surrender and submit to sin. But that day is gone. You've been delivered from its mastery, and you can say no to sin now. So you should, right? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense if, if sin is not the supreme the supreme force in your life, if God is the supreme force in your life and sin is somewhere way down the list, it doesn't make any sense to obey sin and not obey God, does it? No, it's contradictory. It's, it's, it's ludicrous to obey sin if it is not the supreme force in your life, and it is not the supreme force in your life if you are in Christ. One scholar, this is a word we don't use very often at our house. Um, in fact, my kids will say this is the S word. This is good. I'm glad they think this is the S word. Um, one scholar said, it is stupid to allow that which we have died to to have the supreme position in our life. It's stupid. And we live like that so often. We live like that a lot. Like this thing that we have died to still has authority over us, and it does not. Paul will deal with this tension at great length in chapter 7. In fact, you're familiar with that text when Paul says, here's the thing. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Remember that? And here's, here's what I find. There is evil present within me, the one who desires to do good. Right? Remember that whole text? He's going to talk about this theme at great length over the next couple of chapters. But for now, we need to make this observation that when he says, therefore, do not let sin reign, he is saying that it is still a force that we must deal with. That although we have died to sin, and although it does not have mastery over us any longer, we must fight. We must fight, and we can win because of God's grace, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and because of our identification with Christ, we can win. Look what he says next. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In your mortal body, it seems that what Paul is teaching us here is that the arena of the battle is in our bodies. It is not in our souls because that's already been that's already been settled, right? It is not inside of us that this battle rages. Our souls have already been redeemed. Our souls have already been made new. Our inner man has been renewed, right? But the outer man is where the battle takes place with our flesh, with our mind, with our eyes, and with our hands. That's where our battle with sin takes place. As believers, daily, daily resisting temptation, daily seeking after God, it takes place in the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23 says this, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. You catch that? The picture that he's saying is there is a, there is a desire for that day to come. Even the creation desires that day when Christ returns, when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and everything will be set right again. All of creation longs for that. And he says we long for that. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we long for that. And then the end of the verse says this. We long for that 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. The great thing about that day, when we meet the Lord in the air, or we go to be with the Lord, whatever that looks like, the great thing about that day is that sin will be absolutely done away with. It will no, we will no longer experience the penalty of sin, we will no longer experience the power of sin, and we will no longer experience the presence of sin on that day. It will be done away with, and what a glorious day that will be, right? Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for that day when your body doesn't hurt anymore because of sin, when there are not storms anymore because of sin, when there are not temptations anymore because of sin, when there are not broken relationships anymore because of sin? Don't you long for that day when it's gone forever and ever it's gone? Yeah, our bodies groan for that day, look forward to that day. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It does not reign in your heart. It does not reign in your spirit and your soul don't let it reign in your body. That's where the battle is taking place in our lives every day. Back to the illustration of the slave that we're talking to. If he's a slave indeed and we tell him to live as a free man, he's going to say, I can't because I'm, I'm a slave. But if we talk to the one who's been set free, we tell him to live as a free man. He must because he is a free man. How can you tell if someone is a slave or a free man? How can you tell if someone is, in fact, a slave or a free man? By whom he obeys, right? By whom he obeys. If he's a slave, he obeys his master, his slave master. If he's a free man, he obeys somebody else, right? So the question is, who do you obey? And that's what Paul talks about in this next clause. He says, for do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. It's what it looks like to let sin reign. You obey it. You obey it as if it is the master telling you what to do. You obey its lust as if it has authority in your life. One scholar said, as Christians, we still sin, but we do not have to. Every time we are presented with a temptation, God gives us a way out. He promised us the presence, the present power of the Holy Spirit if we will simply cooperate. And this is coming from the text in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's good news, isn't it? That first bit is good news. In other words, you don't face a temptation that I don't face. You don't, you don't face a temptation that isn't common on this globe. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones struggling. I'm the only one struggling in this one area. No, you're not. No, you're not. Everyone's struggling in that area. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And then it says this, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice there, he says, he will provide a way of escape. Not he will take you out of the temptation, right? Not that he will remove the temptation, but he will provide a way of escape. And if there's a way of escape, what must happen? You got to take it. <laughs> you got to take that way of escape. If you're, if you're in a burning building, burning all around you, and there's a fire exit, that fire exit will not save you, right? It's got to go to the fire exit. And that's the way it works in temptation. We're not talking here about justification. Only God can come in and rescue us from the burning building when we talk about that, right? But when we're talking about sanctification, we're talking about our obedience, our response to the work that God has done for us. And if he provides us this way of escape, we cannot sit there and just say, 
oh, woe is me, I'm going to die in this fire. No, he's provided a way of escape. Walk out of the temptation. Walk out of the pain. Walk out of the situation because God has provided a way of escape for you. So he says in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. One scholar said, in summary, Paul is not saying that Christians cannot commit individual acts of sin, nor even that they cannot struggle with habitual sins. He is saying that they cannot go on abiding in the realm of sin. They cannot continue in it deliberately without distaste or diminishment. They do not live in sin anymore. Instead, he says, they are alive to God. And that's the truth. That's the truth. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us. He's saying all these things about who we are. These indicative statements about you've died to sin and you've been crucified with Christ and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. And all these things have happened and now he's saying, live like that. Live like that. Be who you are. Stop being something that you're not. You're not a slave anymore. Church, you are not a slave anymore. Stop living like a slave to sin. You've been set free by Christ. Live like a free man. Live like a free man. Because you look like a slave still. You look like a slave still. So the application today, first, got to clarify that this text is for Christians. These commands are for Christians. If you're not in Christ today, as things stand right now, there's not hope for you. As things stand right now, you are in bondage and you are without hope. If you are apart from Christ, I want to lovingly tell you you're in a hopeless situation. But I also want to lovingly tell you there is hope because your situation can change. Because Jesus Christ rescued you. He came to seek and save the lost. He paid it all upon the cross. We sang a little while ago, right? That's good news. That if you're here today and you're in a hopeless situation, God can change that hopeless situation. He can rescue you and deliver you from the dominion of sin and Satan and set you free. And that's got to happen. So my encouragement to you today, my plead to you today, is to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Be set free. Be delivered by his grace. For those of you who are in Christ, this is for you. This text is for you. This is who Paul was writing to. Christ died for you. And he was raised for you. Think, Think about that for a minute. Like, really take a minute to let that soak into your heart. Christ died for you. And he was raised for you. Christ died for you and was raised for you, not so that you could go on sinning like you always did. Christ died for you and was raised for you so that you might be free from sin. People who have this all wrong. I think there's a whole movement within modern Christianity that would say Christ died for us to deliver us from the penalty of sin, and we have been delivered from the penalty of sin, so we just live however we want. It doesn't matter how we live because Christ has done it all. He's paid it all. He's done all the work. Why would it matter what how I live? That's exactly the thing Paul is dealing with in this text. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Shall I go on sinning so that grace will abound? May it never be. That's exactly what he's dealing with. And there's this movement that would say, Christ died for me. Christ raised for me. So I'll just go on living how I want. No, that's not how it works. 
Christ has died for you and been raised for you so that you might be free from sin. He has not just delivered you from the penalty of sin so that you could live however you desire without fear of condemnation. No, he has freed you from the power of sin that you, so that you can fight against temptation and win. Know this, one day, one day he will free you from the very presence of sin and all of its terrible effects. But until that day, you struggle, you fight, you make war, knowing knowing that sin is no longer master over you. For you have died with Christ to sin, and you have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, right? you got to know that. Because to say, Christ died for me, and Christ was raised for me, and then to live like a slave to sin is blasphemous to Christ. He didn't die for you so that life could go on the same way. He didn't die for you just so you can have some fire insurance, ticket to heaven, get out of jail free card. He died to free you from sin. So you fight and you win. You fight and you win by God's grace. One scholar said, deliverance from the dominion of sin is both the basis of and the incentive for the fulfillment of the exhortation, do not let sin reign. Because we have been set free, we do not let sin reign. Because it does not reign, we do not let it reign. One of my favorite preachers says, make war. Make war. He says in one sermon, he says, I hear so many Christians, so many Christians murmuring about their weaknesses and imperfections and shortcomings. I hear so many Christians murmuring about their pain and their trouble. And he goes, murmur, murmur, murmur. And then he says this in a way that only he can. He says, make war. Make war. Stop murmuring. Stop murmuring. Stop living like you're a slave and make war because you've been set free. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not go on living the way you used to. Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. Make war. Be confident. Live like a free man. Be who you are. Be who he has made you to be. Don't be who you are not. You are not a slave. You're a son. One of my favorite songs, and we're going to hear this song in just a minute, is a song by 10th Avenue North. And, and in the middle of this song, in the chorus of this song, the guy says, Hallelujah. We are free to struggle. We're not struggling to be free. Hallelujah. That's the way the gospel works, right? Hallelujah. He's made us free to struggle. To struggle against sin, to struggle against temptation, and to win. Hallelujah, we are free to struggle. Hallelujah, we're not struggling to be free. It's not the way this works. God does not say, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go on presenting yourself as mem uh, your members uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourself to God, and then you'll be free. Do all this stuff, and then you'll be free. He says, you're free. You are free. Live like it. You're free. Live like it. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for teaching us who we are in Christ, that we have been buried, that we have died to sin, that sin no longer reigns over us, that we have been raised with Christ. We, we are united with him in his resurrection. We are thankful for teaching us those truths, and we want to respond to them by not letting sin reign, by not presenting our members of our body to sin anymore. God, we want to live like free men because you've made us to be free men. And we don't want to drag your name through the mud by living like slaves when you have set us free. 
I pray over the next week that you teach us what that looks like. What, is it, what are the marks of freedom? What are the marks of deliverance? Teach us what that looks like over the next couple of weeks and ground it all in the work of Christ and the work that you have done in our hearts and changing us. God, there are people in here today that are lost souls. They cannot obey these commands. They cannot live like free men because they are not free men. They cannot live like a free man because they're still a slave. Oh, God, would you come and set them free today? Would you come and deliver them today by your grace as a gift through faith, through their trust and dependence on Christ and his work? Would you set them free for your glory, not just for their good? But for your glory, would you do this thing that only you can do? In Christ's name I pray.